the watercourses of the Negev are dry stream beds most of the time. The Negev is a desert in Israel. And like all deserts, it doesn't rain often. And so these dry stream beds sit empty for most of the year. Their bottoms baked hard by the sun. And then once in a while, the heavens open up and the rain flows and flows and the gullies overflow. Sometimes there are flash floods. It might sound a little familiar. Scripture so often gives you something that resonates. Rain in the desert. Rain in the midst of drought. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Negev. The craving for water coming down from heaven. Sometimes coming harder and faster than we might prefer. Blessings often come complicated. We might imagine beautiful, gentle rain restoring our reservoirs and just enough. But today, when it rains, it pours. And a lot of blessings are like that. Today, we return inside at the 10 o'clock service for the first time since March 8th, 2020. And it's something we would have done in a few weeks in any case, but the weather has encouraged us. And so today is a kind of homecoming day and a kind of milestone. And it brings hope. Hope that maybe we are on the downward swing of the pandemic in some way. Hope that there are new beginnings ahead of us. So there's joy today and there's hope and there's a kind of healing. And it's also healing that is still so mixed with grief and challenge. This rain itself carries a note of caution as we worry about storms and floods. And at the same time, it gives us so much hope that maybe we are getting through a whole fire season without evacuations in Sonoma County for the first time in how many years? Remember when that didn't seem special? And of course we know that rain today is just a tiny amount of what we will need to end the drought and that the drought itself is just a tiny piece of the ongoing global reality of climate change. But still we can rejoice, water in the midst of dryness progress in the midst of a pandemic. Thinking back to six months or 10 months or 12 months ago, what our life as a church looked like, what our lives as individuals looked like. We have so much to give thanks for today. We have vaccines that are keeping people who would have died off of ventilators and keeping people who would have been in the hospital at home keeping people who would have had a mild illness from noticing any symptoms and keeping people who wouldn't have noticed symptoms and would have been out spreading the virus asymptomatically from getting sick at all. And we are doing so much more. We are reconnecting with loved ones. Many of us are going places and doing things. Here at church, we're relaunching activities. It is so much better. And so much has been lost. 
so many people, for one thing. More than 700,000 here in this country alone, a whole Washington DC of people. Around the world, more than 5 million. And we still live with so many precautions and so much distance between us and others in ongoing ways. We have people who are still unprotected, people who are still in danger, children, people with immune difficulties. We have people left behind economically. We have a long road ahead before we discover again what normal means. So it's complicated, just like most blessings are. In today's gospel, we see Jesus restoring the vision of a man who's lost his sight. His name is Bartimaeus. He cries out to Jesus. He asks Jesus for what he wants, and he's healed. And it says he follows Jesus on the way. It's a wonderful story. But today, the reading that feels more provocative to me our first reading from the First Testament from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in very complicated times. Jeremiah lived when Babylon, the superpower of its day, was about to conquer Jerusalem, destroy the temple, deport the inhabitants. These things hadn't happened yet. They were on the horizon, and Jeremiah saw them happening. And in this passage, Jeremiah is nonetheless pointing forward to hope. Because after it all, he says, and after a time of exile, God will bring the people home. And as Jeremiah spins this image of what this homecoming will be like, he mentions that among those coming home will be those who are blind. And among those who cannot walk. And I find it helpful that in Jeremiah's vision, it is not that these people are being healed of all their physical difficulties. It's that with what has happened, they are in the community as full members. It's that they're fully embraced as members of the community that's being restored. Sometimes healing comes in different ways. And there's another line in this passage from Jeremiah, where it says that God's people will come back with weeping. Such a profound image of joy mixed with tears. Jeremiah's prophecy actually later came true. One of the things about the prayer book that is beautiful is the way that it immerses us in different parts of scripture that often have connections. And this week, the reading for morning prayer on Friday came from the book of Ezra, which happens later in the story of Israel. And it happens exactly when the people are coming home from exile. And the passage on Friday was about the people rebuilding the temple. It says that they laid the foundation stone of the second temple, the replacement. And the people broke into a colossal shout of joy. And at the same time, among them, there were a few who were old enough to remember the first temple and what had been. And they broke out in weeping 
And scripture says, they could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. So much joy mixed with so much grief. The fact that there is a new temple being laid doesn't bring the old one back. The grief is real and what's lost is truly lost. And there is what's new. And that's what healing is. Healing doesn't erase the losses that have happened. Healing is about knitting those losses into a bigger pattern. A pattern that contains all the pain and sorrow still, and yet wraps it up into beauty, into a new kind of wholeness. I have a dear friend and fellow priest who serves a parish in the East Bay. Her name is Liz. Some of you met her three years ago when she came to serve as preacher for our celebration of new ministry when I came to start here as rector. And Liz recently published a book, a memoir, a memoir of grief. It's called The Night Lake and the images of Lake Tahoe at night. And Liz tells the story of two tragedies in her life. The first one came when her mother, who had struggled with alcoholism for all her life, committed suicide. And then the second came about a year later, when Liz's newborn baby Fritz died at about six weeks old. In her book, Liz maps the territory of grief, these twin tragedies, crushing pain, depression, moments of absurdity, sometimes moments of surprising normalcy and humor, unexpected grace, the pain of well-intentioned people over and over saying devastatingly unhelpful things, the stark realities of ashes and cremation and putting the dust of human beings into the ground the odd and crazy practices of parenting one sibling when another has died. It's a beautiful book, and it's one that is at the same time hard to read and hard to put down. It's hard to read because it's honest and unflinching about sharing the experience of loss. And it's hard to put down because it's written with such love. And it is a book that includes a lot of healing, not shallow healing, not band-aid healing, but costly healing that takes account of what has been lost and that is able to find new life alongside. Joy mixed with tears, grief mixed with healing. You know, when Jesus came to his disciples in new life, one of the ways they recognized him was his wounds. The scars of his suffering, his traumatic crucifixion and death didn't go away. They weren't obliterated by his raising. Instead, he carried them with him to the right hand of God. And so it is with our stories. So it is with Easter. 
Friends, we have seen some wounds in our world, in our society, and no doubt in all our own lives. And rain and meeting indoors and blessings and community and having God's love in our lives doesn't erase those things, doesn't bring back all those who have been lost. It doesn't bring back Fritz. It doesn't bring back those who have died because of injustice, George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Andy Lopez, whose anniversary was celebrated this week. It doesn't bring back the species we've lost to climate change or those who died in flooding earlier this fall. But our faith doesn't teach us to hide from those things. It teaches us to weep about them and to bring them to God teaches us to let our eyes and hearts overflow because we have confidence that there is one who hears, but our tears aren't in vain. I believe that there is justice and joy with all the saints for those who have been lost. I believe that there is a future for them beyond what we can ask or imagine. And I believe the same is true for our world. It's true for you. And God is inviting you to join in with all your griefs, with all your scars. They belong here. They belong at God's table. Here there is grace. Here there is costly and beautiful healing.